The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Josh Newberg, and I've got a whole slate of guests lined up for this show. Today, we're going to do a little end-of-summer recruiting wrap-up show. I'll have a few guests on today, including Chris Nee, Steve Wiltfong, Charles Fishbein, and David Lake. Uh, Full disclosure, Blake Alderman was supposed to also come on, but he's not feeling well, so don't fault me for not having the UF guy on. Um, But the show goes on, and first up, from Knowles 24-7, the man on the bench himself, Chris Nee. What's up, Chris? How you doing? Not much, buddy. How are you? Good. Are you feeling all refreshed and ready to go after your trip out to Vegas for a week? Yeah, I'm good. I, uh, you know, a family trip to Vegas is a weird style of a trip. I'm used to the uh, debauchery version of it, and that was not so much this past week. Right. I knew what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, you were doing the sightseeing, the tours. Like, you weren't in the casino till 5 a.m. and, and waking up at 4 p.m. at the pool. You were, you were doing a different side of Vegas. Yeah. Well, recruiting doesn't stop just because Chris Nee goes on vacation. As soon as you get back, Florida State lands a commitment from Duncanville, Texas, four-star offensive lineman Jalen Early. Uh, He made his college decision today announcing the commitment to Florida State. Early is the number 200 prospect in the country and the number 11 ranked interior offensive lineman in the country. Chris, he goes six foot four, 320 pounds. Where do we project him to play at Florida State? I think he can play either guard spot easily. I think he could also play right tackle. Um, I don't know if he's an effective snapper, so I don't know if center is in question for him, but I don't think they view him as a center based on conversations surrounding him. I think he is a very talented guard prospect. But like I said, I think he's a guy that you could cheat and play at right tackle too. He, he's got a really good body, big frame, thick body. We met him in June when he officially mm-hmm. visited FSU and he stands out and he's a kid that's, he's added a ton of weight to that frame over the last 12 to 24 months. I think he's up at least 60 pounds over that stretch of time. So that kind of speaks to how massive he has gotten on that frame. I like him a lot. I think he's very talented. It continues a great trend for FSU of adding big time offensive linemen. Yeah. And before you just pin him as a guard all the way, I do think of all the versatile guard tackle prospects Florida State has taken. I think Jalen Early has a real shot to to compete for a tackle spot. Yeah, but I think it's right tackle. I don't think he, by Correct. any stretch of the imagination, FSU does not want him to be their left tackle. And that's not a knock on him. That's a matter of FSU's in the business of finally finding true left offensive tackles. Yeah, and I a think guy like Elijah Pritchett and others stand in that category. Even, but if you've been on the right, roster, he can be very good like a rod or like he's more of a guy that they want to develop into becoming a left tackle. Whereas Jalen early has more of the character characteristics of an NFL guard or right tackle. Yeah. He Um, reminds me physically a little bit of Devontae love Taylor, but mm -hmm. more so love Taylor today compared to love Taylor when he was Jalen early's age, but uh, you know, body composition, ability to play multiple positions. There's some comparisons there. Right. And FSU held 
seven crystal ball predictions heading into this commitment. So it was not a big surprise. I think the writing was on the wall there. The primary recruiters for Florida State was Alex Atkins and Chris Thompson. Um, that's kind of Chris Thompson's region. He's done a good job at Duncanville. Uh, coming from TCU, he has those ties. But um, Alex Atkins really did a great job of developing this relationship and kind of sealing the deal. Well, absolutely. You know, the visit is what made it happen. He had a good relationship with Jalen Early from the pre-pan or from pandemic times when visits were not allowed. And then when things opened back up and early took that trip to Florida state, I think that sealed the deal. Did you get that sense when he left FSU, Chris? Yeah. Him and uh, his teammate, Jarrell Powers, the tight end that committed soon after the visit, it felt that way with both of them. The only thing that was kind of open-ended when he walked away from FSU was that he may take a visit to Penn state. And then he backed the date off from mid July to early August for a decision, which left open that last week of July for visits. But that never came to be. He never took that visit. Mm -hmm. In the end, it really, I think it was FSU and Texas Tech were the main two for him, where it was definitely a take and that he liked a great deal. Others like A&M and Ohio State were keeping him warm to a degree. To a degree, but they did bring him in on official visits. Yes. He, took, he took four official visits prior to this decision. So he does have one remaining. We don't know if Penn State's still in play. I, I kind of... I don't think they are. I don't think they are, right. Um but he did visit Texas Tech, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Florida State during the month of June. So this isn't like he just made a trip and he's going to still take visits later. I mean, he pretty much knocked them all out in one month and then originally planned to make his decision in mid-July, but said, hey, I want more time to think. I'm setting this thing for August 2nd. So we feel good about this decision. We feel like it wasn't made on the emotion coming off of an official visit or anything like that. And that's important when you're looking at an out-of-state prospect, I think, like early. Um, let's move on and talk about the rest of Florida State's offensive line board because, Chris, Florida State has six offensive line commitments right now, and they're not yeah. done. Yeah, since May 7th, they have added six players at that position along the front five. Baugh, Sapp, Woody, Charlton, Early, of course, today, and uh, who, who's uh, Daughtry Richardson, Richardson, who committed about a week ago now. So, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. They got six. I think they're willing to sign up to, what, eight, I think is probably If it was number. the right guys, yeah. yeah I, mean, I think we could see eight if everybody wanted a spot. I mean, you, you know, you got to think somewhere along the line there might be some attrition, just reasonably thinking because that's what happens in recruiting. But if if all six of these current commitments wanted to stay on and say like uh, Pritchett and Armella wanted to join, I see them signing all eight. I'm here for it too. I, I'm all for yeah. over signing on the offensive line, get especially as many bodies in. Yes. Get as many bodies in, let that position figure itself out. There's some middle dead weight in that group that probably would push its way to the door. Also, you just never know between injuries, guys not panning out. You know, I think back to Christian Meadows a few years ago, got here, had a shoulder injury, never really was able to contribute. You know, we've had good classes at FSU, not often, but I, what 2016, I think it was a Josh ball class. That was a pretty big O-line class. That I was, was actually Landon Dickerson yesterday. as well, right? Yeah. That class had quite a bit of offensive line, in, and you thought, well, this and is going to fix that problem. And so much of it didn't pan out. So you take as many as possible, and you hope you can get them to pan out. And I feel like we have the right teacher teaching the course, and Alex Atkins in the sense of developing these guys and preparing them, where you're going to get enough of a return. If you take eight, you feel pretty good that you're going to get at least a 50% return 
that's four quality offensive linemen. Hopefully that's a, that's a big piece of the foundation of turning this thing around and allowing it to have some sustainability, not being a one-year wonder. Yeah. And if they took those eight, you'd have three true left tackles in Pritchett, Armella, and Daughtry Richardson. You think Armella is a true left tackle? I think if they take, I think if, you know, if FSU watches him this fall and decides to take him, I think it's because they view him as a true, as a true tackle prospect. I, I don't I think, think that's gonna, a very good way of putting that. Yeah. I don't think they'll take him if they evaluate him and they see him as a guard. I think they have some really good, powerful guards taken right now that they built relationships with. So just assuming that Armella projects as a tackle and that they would land him, that would give you Armella, Pritchett, and Daughtry Richardson as true tackles. And then potential right tackles, you have Ba could fit that role mm-hmm. as well as Jalen Early. And then on the interior, you have Charlton, Sapp, and who am, am I forgetting one? Woody. And Woody. That's a hell of a haul, Chris. And it, and it really fills a lot of needs. Yep. And it, it's overdue. It's something this program's needed to do for years. And, you know, I, last year was kind of a weird deal where I think they had hoped to fix some of the O-line issues in a similar manner. But it just didn't play out that way. You can't mm-hmm. do it when the pandemic hits and you can't build relationships and you can't win over kids. Um, truthfully, uh, several of these kids that they have landed in this O-line class, they laid the groundwork for in March of 2020. So right. that kind of speaks about how relationships are so important. It's tough to recruit for a position when you've been so dreadfully bad at the position for so long because it's very easy to negative recruit that. And I think that Alex Atkins, Mike Norvell, that staff as a whole has done a phenomenal job of basically getting a class where they're trying to say we're moving on from that. And I, I've, I'm on record. I think FSU's O-line is going to be better this year. I still don't think it's going to be very good, mm-hmm. but I think to this year lays groundwork with next year's class coming in and being one that can kind of maybe sustain it and allow them to turn that corner and get back to a respectable place as an offensive line group. I don't, I don't disagree. Uh, there's one more name that we have to mention on the offensive line and that's Eston Harris jr. You have been covering him for a couple months now. FSU seemed to be heating up with him. Um, he's going to make a decision on October 28th. Yeah. So that could be after Elijah Pritchett, because Pritchett told me maybe mid to late September for, for a yeah. potential commitment. And he, so, reiterated, he reiterated that after the Alabama cookout, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And in the timeline kind of makes is good for, for Eston Harris because Florida state will know if we miss on Pritchett, maybe we turn the heat up for Eston Harris. So. Yeah. Or if one of these guys jump ship, just naturally speaking of how recruiting works or, you know, somebody gets in trouble or academics bite somebody in the backside. So yeah, Eston Harris, to some degree, I don't mean this in a demeaning manner, sort of an insurance plan and hell I'd take it. I like the kid a lot. Right. I'm personally a pretty big fan. Um, but yeah, it, from the date kind of means he's waiting himself out to some degree, but at the same time, circumstances may change. It's good for FSU. I think FSU yeah. would prefer that he makes his decision in October because that maybe lets them see what you know Pritchett's going to do. All right. That's enough of that. We couldn't have a recruiting podcast without covering today's commitment. But the real reason that we're having this podcast is to wrap up all the summer events. Um, it's been a really busy summer. We made it. I mean, Chris, you were sitting outside the bench for two months straight and um, you had a you had a real interesting point of view of FSU summer recruiting. So tell me what stands out to you or what stood out to you. Those they expected in made it in. To me, that's the first thing that stands out. A staff that's realistic and uh, also aggressive in the sense of actually getting kids in 
who gets them on campus, that stands out because it's not living in the clouds, believing something that's going to happen, that's not going to happen, or it's not, well, we're just going to put good news out there because good news feels good. No, and what you're that. saying to that is we saw in the past, we saw staffs that were waiting on recruits that were showing them zero to little interest and thinking mm -hmm. that, well, event, you know, it's going to come around, it's going to come around. They, they denied offers to others. Maybe they slowed up recruiting to, to some and then came up empty handed. Yeah. I'm so sorry. like the June, what was it? Fifth elite night. Mm -hmm. They expected about 75. I think of the 75, they expected 70 showed up. That's right. a hell of a ratio. And then the event here about a week ago now to close out July, the expected list and who showed up almost mirror image. From the list that we put out confirming it, I think literally what was it? Cormani McLean. Yeah. And maybe one other prospect did not show up. I mean, that's incredible. We put up visitor lists all the time and then there's, there's major adjustments to them, but yeah, that was, um, that was pretty spot on. They have, they've really done well with their, uh, what do you call it? Their attendance. Yeah. And their board is very defined. Um, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's obviously some question marks at running back, some question marks at linebacker. We could dive into that and take this off the rails and go that direction if we wanted to, no, not but today. we still know. I, okay. Cliff note version running back. I think they're perfectly comfortable truthfully not with taking a running back this year. They may, well, they have a lot committed. of time. Right. Right. Beyond Rodney Hill. Yeah. Um, but you like talking about Jalen Glover and guys like that, right. I don't think they're super aggressive in that regard. I think they'd much rather take an O lineman than a not running back. For example, linebacker, they need to hit at linebacker. Everybody knows that. A Wesley Besaint would be a great one. Uh, Daniel Martin's a personal favorite of mine. EJ Lights, even though I think that ship is sealing away from us right now, is another guy I like a great deal. And there's others we, we can mention. They need to close there. They need to win there. We will see. We will allow it to play out. Recruiting is judged by cycles, not by days. Um, Jerron Willis is probably yeah. the only other name to mention there. So there are those topics. But in general, we know exactly who they want at what positions, and we know they have focused on these guys. You know, wide receivers, guys like Skinner and Coleman, for example. Uh, tight end, pretty well done. O-line, we've recapped here. We just talked about linebacker, running back, quarterback, they got their dude. D-line, we feel much better out where they are right now than where they were, you know, a month ago. And Swinging for the fences. Ago. Daniel Lines right was a great get, obviously, at DN. Marvin Jones Jr., Nigel Kelly, there's some names like that that we'd love to see him land. Secondary, they're big fishing for that last piece. I don't think they're in any rush there. I think Marcus Woodson wants to find the right guy instead of just taking a guy. Right, because they have the two commitments. Two months, yeah. They have two commitments in Sam McCall and Travis Hunter, two of the best in the country, and they're looking for a third. There's no reason to rush a, a third DB when you got those two committed. So, yeah, I think so, – yeah, go ahead. Finish. I off. was going to say, I can't remember the last time August 1st rolled around I felt this comfortable about knowing who and what they wanted. Uh, I think it's probably, I don't know, 2014-ish Jimbo. Probably the last time I felt that way, maybe 15, but that would be probably the extent of that. So it's mm -hmm. been several years. The other nice thing about the last couple of months is they've done a great job of laying groundwork for 23 and 24. They've gotten a lot of kids in. They've built a lot of relationships. There's similarities with 23 to what they did with 22, where they had those guys in, in March of 2020, and they've built those bonds, and now they're returning with commitments. We've seen a good bit of that with 23, some with 24, and there's even a little 25 dabbling going on. So I, I just, they're organized. We've talked about that repeatedly, but I, I think it's gone very, very well in the sense of the groundwork has been laid to have sustainability with being successful in recruiting 
Now it comes down to, can you win enough on the field where it doesn't derail it because you've done a good job and everything you can control mm-hmm. away from winning and losing games. Yeah. I question, I don't know if I really question. Okay, sure. I question <laughs> whether or not the staff could close, right? I, I presented that. I, I definitely did. And I said at the time, like heading into the summer, we know they can build relationships. We knew it. You know, we saw it all pandemic, but in 2021 recruiting, those relationships only got them so far. And my point was like, yeah, relationships are great, but can you close? Yeah. What do you think about their ability to close now? I know it's not, we didn't see, you know, 2022 signing day yet, but we did see some in-person stuff. And then we saw commitments after what is it about this staff and their ability to close? I think they understand the targets they're pursuing and the relationships they're building. They understand the dynamics of what can lead to success with recruiting individual players. Now, I think they've closed very well on a lot of guys that are battles where they can handle the weight class they're fighting in. We're coming up to see if they can fight a little bit over their weight currently. Elijah mm-hmm. Pritchett, Alabama, Jaleel Skinner, you know, Clemson, Florida. Well, Florida's not in that anymore. Sorry. Miami, <laughs> you know, some of those types. I didn't even mean to do that. I'm going to be yelled at for that. Um, Kevin Coleman, FSU, Oregon. We'll see who else emerges when the fall rolls around. I think Texas is in that one too. You know, so there's a few there where we're going to see if FSU can, you know, punch a little bit above their weight and they win those. I think that's an even bigger statement, but I think for a program coming off three wins, three bad seasons in a row, new staff with not a ton of connections to the area, they're recruiting heavily, even though they've done a good job of building connections through new hires, Kenyatta, Ryan Bartow, support staff, so on and so forth. Um, they've done a very good job and they've done a good job of closing. And the the most impressive thing to me is we haven't been ambushed by what the hell just happened. Why did that kid not end up at FSU? Willis is probably the biggest instance of that we've dealt with so far this cycle. Is that fair to say you think? Yeah. um, And we know why that happened. Yeah, we know because no, you won't tell me it's a safety. They won't say great I, things to us. You know, safety. I would probably maybe say EJ Lightsey as well. And also, but I think I like EJ Lightsey more than FSU likes EJ Lightsey. Yeah, I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. Um, you sold me harder than the staff has. But yeah, I think you're right. I think they, they, they've done a really good job of zeroing in on, on their top targets and not wasting a whole lot of, of time. Um, but what do you think this class will look like in December? I think it will be a top five-ish class. You know, I, wow. I, I, if I had to, if I had to put in a crystal ball today, I would put one in for FSU with Kevin Coleman. I would put one in for FSU with Jaleel Skinner. That's Woo! two massive offensive targets. They are definitely in it with Elijah Pritchett. I actually have a crystal ball in Alabama right now. I still feel comfortable enough to leave it on Alabama. Alabama's not yielding on that one, mm-hmm. but FSU is very, very much in that, and far more in that than they were ninety days ago. So that, that's three huge offensive pieces. We'll see what comes at running back. D-line, Marvin Jones Jr., I feel like FSU's got a great shot at, always has, always will. It's going to be a fight to the end, but they've got the official remaining. That's a big piece. They need to add another big defensive line piece, in my opinion, but I think mm-hmm. John Papuchas has shown that he's capable of pulling that off. You know, Trevion Williams was one that kind of came out of not nowhere, but – was slightly surprising and it was a great get very talented kid somewhat raw but should be very good i fully expect marcus woodson to get his last piece because well hell i think he might be the best recruiter on the staff him or alex atkins linebacker is a big question mark hopefully between chris marv and the staff as a whole they can get that done they land one to two high level guys to pair with omar graham mm-hmm. um but they need to hit on that one like to me that that's one that 
for all the good that they can create this year, that's a bit that could sour the fan base. There's certainly a segment of the fan base that is uh, waiting to pounce, I guess Mm -hmm. is the best way of putting it with regards to linebacker recruiting. And I understand why it's one position. They haven't had a great deal of success so far in two cycles and certainly not to this point in the 22 cycle. Yeah. And they've just been lacking on the field for, for more than just two years, but before we get out of here and before we wrap up your your segment, um, I wanted to just look back at the summer and think about what's to come for the fall. Do you think that we've seen the busiest recruiting month of the summer? I mean, of the year already passed? Like, do you think that December is going to be busier than yeah, June? I, I think December is going to be boring as hell. Right. I, I kind of because, OK, so official visits have already I think September's going to be busy. Kids can only take one official visit to each school. Most schools have already hosted dozens of official visitors. FSU is going to host about another dozen on September 5th. Then they're going to host another handful when Miami comes to town. Like by the time early signing day rolls around, I don't know if any prospects are going to have official visits remaining. It's kind of weird. I think it will be the select few, the elite few. I I think also unofficials have become so easy for kids to take that, you know, officials aren't as heavy for most schools as they once were. I think for FSU mm-hmm. officials still matter a great deal because it's an opportunity to really build a bond over 48 hours. But for the Bamas, the LSUs, the elites, the Ohio States and recruiting, unofficials can still pull it off for them. So, you know, if a kid wants to flip in December, I think they still have those opportunities if they have used all five officials. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think September is going to be a crucial month. Um, certainly for FSU, I think how they get out of gate is going to matter a great deal. Obviously, the Notre Dame game has been turned into a bonanza for recruiting, right. which I think is an interesting play. You know, if they yeah, play I don't well know how win, I feel about that. Well, if they play well and win, it's brilliant. Congrats, Mike Norvell. You, you nailed it, buddy. If they play really poorly and get blown off the field and we have VTech Redux, then we're all of us are going to be vomiting in trash cans by the end of the day. I think we're so traumatized. Oh, we are. There's no doubt. <laughs> there's there's RPTSD, recruiting post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely dealing with that here, no doubt. Um, but yeah, September's crucial. I think FSU can really put a cherry on top of this class in September, and they can lose to Notre Dame and be fine. They need to be competitive. They need to show that they're a better program. Right. They need to meaning like you need the FSU fans to stick in their seats until it's over. If it's a blowout yeah. and FSU fans are leaving in the middle of the third quarter. That's not going to be pretty. If the message board is a flames after one quarter, we're in deep trouble. If it's a, if, if it's on fire at halftime, we're still in pretty big trouble. If it doesn't get on fire to about three minutes after the game ends, we're okay. We're yeah. fine. This is perfectly normal. That happens after right. wins actually. Right. Um, yeah. I just, I, I think September is pretty crucial for this bunch, but I think they've done a great job of laying groundwork. They've exceeded my expectations. Uh, I feel like it's going in the right direction, but mm-hmm. now they got to win enough to make sure it stays in that right direction. Okay. And win enough is 500 or better for the record. Well, I had a lot of fun. I did have a lot of fun this summer. Did you have fun? Uh, Yeah. Heat stroke in June was an interesting experience sitting on the bench, just watching my legs turn red. Um, I won't miss that. I don't think we'll ever have a month quite like that again, because, you know, recruiting will be stretched out over the entire calendar the year instead of open. shutting down for 16 months. Uh, But yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy watching the staff work. Um, I think what you see people do when they're just doing their job and they're not trying to flex or show off or any of that, 
I think it says a lot about who and what they are. And I think this group as a whole impressed. Right. All right. Well, Chris, appreciate you coming on. Uh, We're going to get to the next guest. Up next on the bench, we have Steve Wiltfong, Director of Recruiting at 24-7 Sports, and my good friend. Steve, welcome to another appearance on OTB. How you doing? Joshua, thanks for having me on, man. I wish you were in Indianapolis with me right now, enjoying a smoothie, uh, getting ready for the uh, fall camp season here uh, uh, for high school and college alike. Well, I am in the Sunshine State. I'm not going to trade that for Indiana anytime soon. And I have been covering one of the hottest programs, at least on the recruiting trail this summer, Florida State. Um, Florida State heading into the season has a top 10 class. It's kind of crazy to say, considering they're coming off a three-win season and just all the trials and tribulations this program has gone through in the last four to five years. What are other coaches saying about FSU's success on the trail this summer? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think that no one's out there like kissing their ass and telling me how great they're doing. Oh, I didn't think that was going to be the answer. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I I don't get much on, on schools talking about other schools, but I will say this, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously impressed with what Florida state's been able to put together, but I'm not surprised. I think if you remember I think it was back in the spring or maybe even earlier. Uh, 24-7 Sports did a uh, poll on who the best recruiting staffs were right. in the state of Florida. And our, our our people voted Mullen at the top. And I just kind of quote tweeted it. And it was a collective thing. Were, were you part of that vote? Yes. And I just quote tweeted it and said I would, I would have put Norvell and Jeff Scott uh, up there because – you know, just to dabble real quick on Jeff Scott before we get into what y'all care about. Jeff Scott's mm-hmm. a great recruiter, man. If you put a different logo on his golf shirt, he would crush it. I mean, he's he was a terrific recruiter at Clemson. He knows how important it is, and uh, I think he's incredibly engaged. And that's what I'm looking at when I'm a recruiter: is how much time and effort and energy our coaches putting into that. And I know that at Florida State, from top to top to bottom, to from Norvell to the off-field staff there's a tremendous amount of buy-in to recruiting. And with that, with the logo that Florida State has on its golf shirt and the history and the NFL draft history uh, and, and, and just what people have done historically coming out of that program, you're seeing the results right now coming off of a tough season with Florida State sitting on a top 10 class with enough firepower to finish in the top 10 when all said and done. How do you think they did it, though? I mean, obviously, they didn't put a a great product on the field. Do you think this was kind of a culmination of things opening back up and FSU just being prepared? Or is this just the general cycle of college football where teams come back after they've been down for a while? Well, I think pandemic recruiting kind of favored Florida State in the sense that it comes down to just authentic relationships. And I think Florida State staff does a great job there. And obviously, when things opened up, you know, getting a chance to meet these guys in person, I, I think that the prospects, what they were getting during the pandemic, checked out in person. But Florida State came out swinging right away. I mean, they were the first school to host visitors. <laughs> I thought that was pretty awesome. I mean, right. you had recruits standing outside the facility looking through the glass door 
And then you had Norvell and them on the inside of the facility looking through the glass door, kind of in this awkward excitement of 10 minutes before the doors were unlocked and everybody was able to, to come in. So again, recruiting is incredibly important to this Florida State staff and they know they're not gonna rebuild this program without a ton of effort uh, on the recruiting trail. What's the point of spending all this time evaluating guys and forming a board of top targets if you're not gonna try your ass off to sign them? Now, mm-hmm. obviously Florida State's gotta go out and play some football this fall. And if they don't play well, these other schools aren't gonna go away. But I do think that Florida State, the relationships that they have with these kids and the trust that they've earned with these kids puts them in good position to keep this thing rolling uh, through the fall up into the early signing period. Right. So that my next question to you is, is this sustainable? You know, Manny Diaz has come out and called it fake momentum, assuming he thinks that this class is going to fall apart. Um, Do you think a top 10 class is sustainable for Florida State in 2022? Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly, like, you look at the Notre Dame game, week one, mm-hmm. they can play well in that game. They don't even have to win, but if you can play well in that game in, in, in front of the firepower that's on campus that weekend, yeah, I mean, you look at some of the guys that Florida State's in beyond that, you know, uh, um, yes, there, there's enough prospects on the board for Florida State to finish in the top 10. Okay. What are your general thoughts on the dynamics of recruiting within the state of Florida, um, mainly speaking to the big three, Miami, FSU, and Florida? What do you mean? Like the dynamics this year. Who's on top? Who's surging? Who, you know, what do you think of the state of recruiting, I guess, is a better way to put it. Well, I think with with Florida State, obviously, you love the position that they're in, you know, having a top 10 class and in a league that – you know, you're only a couple of recruiting classes away from being very competitive, which then puts you in the playoff hunt, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love where North Carolina's at right now. And I think that if you're Florida State, you're trying to quickly get on a similar trajectory. And with North Carolina, they've recruited the quarterback room excellent. The defensive line room is top notch the way they've stocked that thing. And they've recruited a lot of speed at linebacker in the secondary and at wide out running back. I think North Carolina has really built their roster to compete for a while. And I think Florida State is just starting their trajectory now. Uh, but that's what you're kind of trying to emulate. Uh, uh, but with that being said, there's more talent around Florida State and they have a chance to land. Uh, um, the proximity to difference makers is closer and puts them in, in a more advantageous position to, to build their program. I think it's a little harder for North Carolina, which makes me respect what they're doing even more. Although home cooking in North Carolina was, was pretty awesome last cycle um, with Florida, you know, they've, they recruited, I think it's three top 10 classes uh, over the last four years under Dan Mullen. The problem is, is that you're in the sec, man. And so, you might have a top 10 class, but you're still behind Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M uh, right off the top. So, I mean, and they're kind of sneaking in the top 10. They're not really solidifying themselves in the number four spot or the number three right. spot in the top 10. Right. That's kind of my point. And so, you know, it, it, on, on paper, you're like, oh, another top 10 class. And that's good, man. But um, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M. Um, I, I think that, I mean, those are the programs you're trying to consistently beat. I mean, Florida had an excellent season last year 
had an exciting season and they still lost four ball games, you know, and so it's, it's a grinder uh, in the league that they're in. And, and so I think that the standard that they can recruit to, uh, I would hold them to a little bit higher of a standard than, than what they've been recruiting to. So we'll see how they finish this cycle. They've had some exciting recruiting wins with Shamar and, 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 and Jeremiah Alexander last Julian year. Humphrey. Or actually, why'd I say, why'd I say Jeremiah Alexander? Um, yeah. Uh, Julian Humphrey this year, they got, to me, Florida field, it feels like their window to take over the state has been open here for a couple of years with FSU and Miami being down. And I just don't feel like Dan Mullen and that staff have capitalized on what they could capitalize on because when Florida state, when they had their window of opportunity, Jimbo was landing number one players at, at their position. He was landing a top two class, a top class, you know, here and there top five. And I just don't think Dan Mullen finishing eight, seven to your point, he's not loading up on the firepower like you should when you are the top dog in the state. And I feel like Florida state's kind of closing in on that. What do you think about Miami? Well, I, I said Jeremiah Alexander, but obviously I met Jeremiah Williams, him and Jason Marshall were a couple of nice wins last year. But again, that class finished number 12 and number five in the sec and the standard Florida holds itself to is winning the sec and competing for a national championship and uh, um, so the transfer portal is, is maybe where they can make up some hay there and then obviously develop and, and schematics. But, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M and, and uh, LSU, those schools are trying hard in all those departments as well. Exactly. And, and then what about Miami? I kind of feel like they gain momentum at times and then they lose it. And then this recruiting cycle has been kind of weird. What's your thoughts with Miami and their interest where they stand in the state of Florida? Well, last year they signed a number 11 class, which was one of their better classes in a while. So I think that there was some excitement there. And Leonard Taylor, James Williams, those guys were obviously right. coveted recruits in the SEC that for a few years we were accustomed to seeing go elsewhere. And so Miami landing guys like that at the top was big. Um, I, I, I think this year – they don't. They they obviously are you know are sitting at number forty five right now. They have just eight right. commits. Um, I, you know, they have Kamari Rogers committed at the top, uh, who who is heavily recruited. But you know, time will tell on this class. Is is you know they're in. A, you know, Jaheem Singletary. They're battling Georgia. Shamar Stewart. They're battling Georgia A and M and Ohio State. Can they make a move with with uh, Kamari Wilson? They're in it for like Jaleel. They're, Anthony Lucas is a major, major target for them. Julian Armella. Ar there's some pivotal battles with, with Florida State for guys like Julian Armella and, and right. Wesley Bissette. So there's some names. I don't know if they're recruiting at a national championship level, which is also kind of the standard there, right? Um, uh, but uh, so – I don't, I, I, you know, I, I kind of judge Florida a little harsher than I, I judge Miami just because of the recent success that, that Florida has had um, and the league that they're in right, uh, and the stature that they have. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Miami can, you know, if they can get Shamar and Jaheim and, and, and some of those guys in the boat. Yeah, they have some big dogs out that they're in good shape for. I put a uh, crystal ball in for Shamar Stewart to, to Miami as well. Um, before I let you go, though, Florida State currently sits at, I mean, 
they sit at 17 commitments while we tape this, but technically maybe they're at 18. Um, leaving only a few spots left for the 2022 class. Really, FSU is going to go big game hunting with these last couple spots. So as we head out of summer and into fall recruiting, I wanted to ask you about some of the top names on the board. You don't have to give me a long, drawn-out um, explanation, just a couple thoughts on these names. Let's start with four-star offensive tackle Elijah Pritchett. Well, I know he was just in Alabama again this weekend. There was a lot of momentum uh, with, with Florida State there, several visits since the pandemic cleared and allowing kids to, to take visits. I haven't talked to anyone about the Alabama visit this weekend, uh, but it was going well for FSU going into it. Okay. Julian Armella. Recruit too. Both of those guys are pivotal recruits. Julian Armella, yes. yeah, I thought I thought early in the early in the summer Florida State was in a good position. I honestly haven't hovered over that recruitment, so maybe something has changed, but I, there's no question Florida State's way in that one. Yeah, he hasn't taken too many trips this summer. He took an official visit to LSU in early June, and that was it. So he still has four official visits left. I don't think that recruitment's ending anytime soon. Um, the next thing I want to talk to you about is a really intriguing prospect. He goes six foot five, 210 pounds. FSU's recruiting him as a wide receiver. We have him ranked as the number one tight end in America. What do you think about Skinner? Well, the way he can stretch the field at that, you know, with that size is is unique and special. And and I think Florida State's in great position for Julius Skinner. I think he's got good relationships with guys in Florida State's class. And I think it's an intriguing and exciting opportunity. You know, he's going to take his official for the Notre Dame game, which will be such a pivotal weekend. And that that there's a lot invested in that weekend off the field for Florida State, and they'll have to have a good showing. Yeah. Do you think this is a Miami-Florida State battle brewing here, or am I counting out Alabama too soon? Well, I never rule out Alabama if they're on the list, you know, right. because they're always – Alabama's always a phone call away from being in, in, in an even better spot because of just what they offer a young man on and off the field, and the, and the kids know that, you know, mm-hmm. um, with, with the strength and conditioning program um off the field that's you know as unique as it gets and 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 then on the field they produce and develop and and then their guys you know get selected high so i'm i'm not sleeping on alabama there you know obviously florida state and miami are in a good spot too the good thing for florida state is they got them in unofficially and they still haven't utilized their official correct he was in town for midnight madness like you said um moving on another guy that they got on two multi-day unofficial visits this summer is four-star defensive end Marvin Jones Jr. out of uh, American Heritage High School. He is one of the top pass rushers in America, a major position of need for FSU, and he's a legacy recruit, but it's not a sure thing for Florida State, is it? No, but I would say this, when I look at the remaining targets for Florida State, um, I, I look at him and Nigel at Kelly as the two most pivotal recruits because the championship caliber teams, you know, are won at the point of attack. Florida State's already got a massive offensive line class in the fold and sitting in good position with some four stars moving forward. But they need difference makers like Marvin Jones and, and Nigel at Kelly at the at the point of attack. And if they can secure uh, signatures from those two guys, I think it really propels the program moving forward. I, I mean, Marvin Jones 
uh, is an elite guy and, and Nigel Kelly is an exciting pass rusher as well. And if you can add those two guys uh, to the fold with Travis Hunter and Sam McCall and those DBs and the defense has a chance Ooh. to be really, really stopped moving forward. All right, Steve, you're getting us all but excited. I would, take, I would take those guys over. If I was drafting with what Florida State already has in the boat, I would take those two guys before I took Coleman or Skinner. And I love Coleman and Skinner and think Florida State has a good chance. You know what? I agree with you. Um, that was the formula for Jimbo Fisher, even though he came in as this offensive guru and this offensive mind, he really built it through the trenches and right up the middle. So I do agree with you that Florida State needs to beef up that defensive line more than anything. Um, Steve, it was great having you on. Very informative. Um, appreciate you. And uh, don't be a stranger to the Knowles 24-7 message board. Joshua, take care. Appreciate y'all. Have a good, good August, and we'll see you on the board. All right. Thank you, Steve. Up next on the bench, we welcome Charles Fishbein. He is the CEO and Director of Scouting at Elite Scouting Services and also the host of the Fish Cast. Fish, welcome back to the On the Bench podcast. You've been on here before, right? Yeah, you're the reason I started my own podcast. You know, you got oh, us okay. on for the summer store. I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe this ain't so hard. I realize it's not so easy. So you guys do a great job. We also, I also do the, you know, stuff for the Osceola. So I appreciate you having me on and I look forward to our little conversation right now. Absolutely, man. It's good to have you back. As you know, you probably know if you listen to this podcast, I've explained a couple of times. I got my start in this industry working for Fish at Elite Scouting Services in about the year 2008, 2009. I think I was with you for about two years until I went to 24-7 Sports. So I have known Fish for a long time. He's one of the most trusted people in my Rolodex when it comes to talking recruiting, especially in the state of Florida. So that's what I want to have you on here for, Fish. Um, we know that FSU is going to enter the fall season with a top 10 class, but who really stands out to you on this commit list? Well, I mean, the, you know, the names, A.J. Duffy is the most important because they have such a need for the quarterback position. I was a big fan of his. Um, you know, I know you've seen him a few times. And the one thing I try to tell people with the quarterback position, we saw Christian Ponder at the FSU camp. I, I, I did at the time. I was and there. He, and and he, he couldn't hit the side of a barn. And then you look at somebody like Blake Bortles, who was terrible. I mean, UCF wanted to play him at tight end. They were convinced he was a tight end. And I was there at, with you. <laughs> and <laughs> Lamar talking to and, David Kelly about him. Yeah, and Lamar Jackson and all these guys. So when it comes to the quarterback position, it's a one that – and it's not a knock on the networks. They've missed on a lot of these kids. And I think a lot of it's just a developmental thing. You talk to any quarterback coach in the country, whether it's – uh, it doesn't matter if it's Jimbo or any other quarterback coach. Every guy has their own thing they look for. And it's just – it's one of those positions you got to find somebody that's willing to work hard. Ha you know, the physical tools have to be there. You know, Blake had a strong arm. He just couldn't hit anybody at the camp we went to. Same with Christian. Is that that work ethic? Are, are they going to learn the offense? Are they going to do all the things they need to do? And then, you know, you, you look, you know, A.J., uh, went to the Elite 11 camp, and and some people love him. Some people thought, you know, he didn't he he didn't ex get to the level they thought he would. But it's a position that you have to be patient at if the kid's willing to be developed. Because you used to look at the Elite 11 camp every year. 
there may be 11, 12, 13 kids at that camp, but maybe two or three really only make it. If you look at the history, not a lot of those guys make it. And you look at the draft, a lot of those quarterbacks, Josh Allen, we talked about Lamar Jackson. You look at Trey Lance, who just came out mm-hmm. this year. A lot of those guys are missed. And it's not, it's just a hard position to evaluate. So AJ Duffy's to me was the most important commitment they got just because it's such a major position of need. Not Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter's it's different. I mean, they you know you can't win without a quarterback. You ask any coach, you look at, you know, you look at Manny Diaz, he got De'Ar King and it changed their fortunes down there at Miami. If you don't have that position, it's great to have the Travis Hunters, but you know that Florida State, Miami, Florida are always going to get the athletes. The skill kids are always and Travis is huge. Trust me, I, I have Travis. I don't give a lot of tens out. You know, I'm very hard on kids as far as evaluating them. He's a 10. I mean, he's an elite level kid. He's one of the top players in the class, and he's been a great ambassador already for Florida right. State. He's huge, but that quarterback position, we've seen what they've looked like the last five or six years. You're not going to win a lot of ball games without a, a sig- you know, a signal caller, you know? Yeah. And the way the game, the, the way that the game is going, it's a passing league. The rules favor the offense and all that kind of stuff. You can make a bigger, in my opinion, you can make a bigger impact right away on offense. So am I crazy for thinking that I want to see Travis Hunter play wide receiver for Florida State? Not, if you look, that's where you want him. You want the ball in his hands. He's a playmaker. Um the games change. Like you said, you could find DBs and good ones. You can't find playmakers are so hard to find. You look at someone, you go all the way back. It started with Percy Harvin and what he did at Florida. Um, You look at some of the playmakers Florida state's had or Miami's had, or you look at Alabama, Alabama, you know, they used you know, Saban was a defensive coach, but you know what? He figured the game changed and you go watch an Alabama game right now. They have playmakers on that side of the ball. You're, you're, you're going to have to score 40 to 50 now in games to win. It's just the game's changed. You know, fans get all upset at the defensive coaches, but at the end of the day, the defensive coaches are at – it's very difficult for them to game plan with, the, with all the advantages offensive coaches have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I talk a lot. We talk maybe at least once every two or three weeks, but then sometimes we talk in bunches where we, you know, it's, it's a bunch of times in a week, especially during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, this isn't up for debate. Yeah. You were down on the FSU staff as far as recruiting goes. That's not up for debate. So I want to ask you, you've come around full circle to thinking this staff can recruit. What changed in your opinion? Or what did they do to change your opinion, I should say? I just think, and the one thing they've done is, and and we talked about this with a a coach that used to be on Florida State staff, is to have success, you have to get these kids on campus. One of the things is a former coach both told told me, I I believe he told you as well, before July of their going into their senior year, you got to get these kids on campus at least two to three times before you get it. A Mm -hmm. a, a, you have a legit shot, and we've you've always said follow the visits how many times they come on these visits and you've seen it's work. The more times they've gotten these kids on visits, they've been able to get these early commitments. And I thought the one thing is, listen, they've had a lot of disadvantages. And now that I've been around the coaching staff, we didn't know a lot of these guys. We've been around, we've been around a lot of coaches. You start to get a feel. They've done a very good job of focusing on the kids. They actually have a shot at. They're not wasting their time on kids at at the end of the day, they're not going to pull in. So they yeah. focused, they focus on the guys they have a shot at. 
maybe some of these guys aren't the you know the high hanging fruits, elite level kids, but these are kids that they're going to make their roster better from the bottom up. They're going to make that floor higher, and they're going to get guys that actually can improve. I and and I got to give them credit; they've done a phenomenal job. That's not you can't argue that they've done a phenomenal job getting guys on campus, getting them interested in the school. And a lot of these kids have decided, you know what? Florida State's a cool place to go. Let's help them turn this thing around. Yeah. And it's not going to happen all at once. Uh, we witnessed it during the Jimbo Fisher turnaround. We saw class by class, you know, it, it, it started to turn. But the one thing that Jimbo was doing was he was landing number one players at their position. These weren't guys that um, were three stars that we had to say, like, they're going to be developed into five stars. I mean, Jimbo was out there two, three, four years into his tenure at FSU, starting to land the number one players in their position. And you're starting to see FSU do that. I mean, Travis Hunter was birthed to them, so it's hard to say that they really landed him. But that's what it takes sometimes to get the ball rolling. My question to you is, what have they done specifically in Miami to kind of get the ball rolling? Because it seemed like they had no momentum when Taggart was leaving and Norvell arrived to, hey, they're in there recruiting some of the best players in South Florida. You know, Miami's a different animal. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's a wild, wild west. At mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's about relationships. It took me three years when I first started in this business for coaches to actually talk to me or be able to really trust me that I'm going to help their kids and I'm not going to take advantage of the situation. They're very street savvy, these coaches down here. They understand that is a business. And they're going to put their kids in the best position to succeed. Now, sometimes they overdo it and they get too involved and, and they give bad advice. But more times than not, they, they do want to help the kids out. And, but there's so many people with their hands in the jar trying to help these kids. And you know, you've seen it firsthand what you have to deal with. You know, like it's just it's drama. And I've always said, you know, I talk to so many coaches about this. When you recruit South Florida, you have to understand when you recruit those kids, you're their parent, you're their therapist, you're basically their best friend. Like it's not, <laughs> you're not just coaching them on the field, but the reward, if you do it right, Josh, and you know, this is the reward is national championships, right. you know? Yeah. You have the baggage and you have all the extra stuff you have to deal with. But at the end of the day, the kids love down here, have such a passion and love football that, you know, if you get the best out of them, the results are going to be huge. And the results are what matters. We've had a great time this summer talking, recruiting, following all these commitments. Um, is it sustainable? What are your expectations? Where do you think FSU actually finishes the 2022 recruiting class? I think it's, I mean, I go off of, I'm going to be honest, I do a little class calculator and I put all the pieces together. It seems like if you go off of, your class calculator on your site mm -hmm. that it's going to be a top 15 class fringe top 10. It's just, just based on the numbers. I don't, you know, I don't agree with some of the kids where they're ranked and some are rated too high. Some are too low. Um, you know, there's some kids that I think hot more highly of, and I think are uh, better players than some of the rankings, but that's all debatable, you know, but I mean, a top 15 class fringe top 10 with what they've gone through the last three years, it should not be a disappointment for anybody. It, it means you're heading in the right direction. Definitely. I, I agree with that. I think um, whether the momentum is fake or real, Florida State's got something going on right now. I don't think the attrition, even if they win 
six games. I don't think the attrition of this class is going to knock him out of the top 15. I agree with you. I think we're seeing at least incremental steps in the right position. If FSU can go out and win seven or eight games, we could see a bigger step in the right direction, but um, you got to give the staff credit. Um, what was, what was some of the, uh, what stuck out, stuck out to you before we get out of here about this summer for Florida state recruiting, what stuck out to you? You know, the one thing we've complained about for so long is offensive line recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about it. You have to throw a big net. We complained about it over and over with Jimbo. Okay. And it just – it seems like this conversation has been going on for 15 years with the O-line. It yeah, because it whatever. even continued with under Taggart. They didn't yeah, really just, cast a wide net. The Evan Neal yeah. year where they, you yeah. know, they weren't prepared for that. Yeah, it just seems like every year they're not prepared for the twists and turns, but this year they are. Yeah. And, and it's such a, it's another position. Basically you're taking flyers on kids anyway. I mean, for every Elijah Pritchard, that seems like a no brainer. Most of these guys are developmental guys. You're right. going to have to develop them. They're not going to come in and play as freshmen, but the fact that they threw a wide net and they got kids interested in them early, it's a one position at running back. You only need one running back and it changes the whole room. You pull a, a, a top flight guy in, you don't need five. You need five offensive linemen. So that means if you're going to recruit all five positions, you got to recruit three or four at each one of those spots. You're talking 15 to 20 offers have to go to get that need up to where you need to get it is that 14, 15 kids on the, on the team. So you're going to have to widen that net. And, and we complain. It seemed like every year, they needed five guys and they would recruit like six mm-hmm. overall for five spots <laughs> and land one. And it's just, you can't keep doing that. And, and that's then take why, flyers on a, on a bunch of guys that you don't really have relationships with the, at the very end of the class. And then you wonder why they leave after a year or two. Exactly. Or have injury problems or weight gain problems or whatever. Yeah. But they've done a very good job. I, I joked with somebody the other day, I think, uh, we all have to chip in and help Alex Atkins get at, like an NIL thing going on. I think he deserves to make some extra money on the side. So <laughs> you know, he'll make his money. Got to get some edits going time. for Coach Atkins. But it's the one thing we've talked about. You're not going to win without the quarterback position. You're not going to win without an O line. All the other stuff, skill guys are going to come. There's so many great skill kids in the state of Florida that even if you don't land the top guys. But I was just saying, you know, you you that the wide receiver position and and these other positions, you know how deep they are that there's kids that pop up all the time. There's going to be guys that they probably, you know, Devontae Freeman wasn't a kid they really recruited till his senior year right. towards the towards the end of the year of the playoffs. So there's going to be guys, especially this year, um, that pop up that nobody knows about. All right, Charles, I appreciate you joining on the bench. Um, we'll be in touch soon, but we'll have you back on before signing day, I'm sure. All right, man. I appreciate you having me on. Welcome back to On the Bench. Up next, you know, they say that we save the best for last. I don't know if that's necessarily true in this case. We have David David Lake, publisher of Inside the U. Welcome back to OTB. David, how you doing? Doing well. Does this mean I'll get to be on the bench twice this year, maybe? Bring me back for the FSU Miami game? Potentially. Okay. Don't push it. I know we'll you've see. been here before. Yeah, we'll see how things look. Usually it, I, it's a once a year appearance for me. So we'll see how it plays out. 
We'll see what the fans on Knowles 24-7, if they want you on. Maybe we'll run a poll. I think we know the answer to that. <laughs> what do you think of all the fans on our site with you as their profile picture? It is funny. I can't lie. It's 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 funny. I mean, I, you know, I deserve it, so I no, can't hate on it. I don't think it. you deserve it. I, it annoys me, but I'm glad you enjoy it. It annoys you because my face is punchable. Yes, very yeah. punchable. No, <laughs> I've never thought of you that that way, David. Just full disclosure. No, it right. is funny, though. I can't lie. We're going to get into some recruiting talk. And it's we're in a weird period because Florida State won three games last year, yet they have a top 10 recruiting class. Uh, Miami did what they did, which is like not compete for a conference title, but win some games. And it seems like they don't really have a lot going on in recruiting. They're they're in what right now? The 30s? 45. 45. I don't expect them to finish anywhere close to that. We know they're going to do better than that. But how would you summarize Miami's summer recruiting efforts? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is going to make Florida State fans roll their eyes, and I get it. But right now, Miami is taking a patient approach to this 2022 cycle. I think it's partly because Manny Diaz is doing his best to get rid of the decommitment you moniker at Miami. Um, And so he's not, he's going to let guys take their time. His vibe as a coach, honestly, too, is more of a laid back vibe. So he, he doesn't really press guys to commit, so to speak, all that much. And also, too, I think with the transfer portal now a thing, he doesn't want to press guys to commit and you know if they're not feeling it at Miami after one year uh they could hit the portal so he wants guys to commit when they really feel like they're all in on Miami um and so that's why right now Miami only has eight commitments I I do think they have had a nice little run here in July I Mm -hmm. think they've they've picked up five commitments in, in July and uh, I think most of those guys were four-star guys. They got a couple top 100 rated guys. So there's still plenty of work to be done. Um, and, and another reason why the, the class is so small. Right now, they're chasing some big fish, right? Like Miami thinks yeah. they have a chance to be pretty good this year. So they're betting on themselves mm-hmm. to be able to close on some of these big, big, big time targets. So we'll see. I, I like it. High risk, high reward type of recruiting. And honestly, Miami needs to raise the standard of player they are recruiting, in my opinion. Um, and so that's kind of what they're doing this cycle. Yeah, I uh, I have some thoughts on that, but I, let's go. And I don't argue. I just thought it was odd that uh, you know we say or the the moniker coming out of Miami was that they were going to save these spots for guys that were fully committed. At one point they had three commitments and one of their commitments, Quan Lee opens it up and decommits. And it's like, I understand he decommitted because he wants to take visits, but wasn't that the whole purpose of Manny slowing things down? So he wouldn't get guys on the commit list that were going to take visits. So I kind of saw that as just like an excuse for just not having, not swinging a big stick on the recruiting trail for whatever reason. I think it's a, I think that's fair to point out. I I will say this. So when Quan Lee, and now he, I think he announced at the end of May and mm-hmm. that timeline kind of had Miami scratching their head. Like, really, you're going to commit when things are Before just about to open up. So like, okay. Um, but I mean, look at the time they did like them. 
So you take the guy you like. Um, and he was not upfront to Miami about. I get it. A- All right. All right. I get it. Um, what, when June 1st opened, when, when June opened and, and you saw Florida State come out with Midnight Madness kind of um, yeah. getting a head start on everybody. But then after that, there was the 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 June 5th elite camp. There was the mega camp. There was the seven on seven. There was the big man. There was the seminal showcase. There was there was visits in between. What did it look like from your perspective on what Florida State did this summer? I think they did some great things with that. They were creative. They clearly had a plan. Um, and it seemed like they executed it by getting a, a lot of big time guys on campus. So, um, you know, I, I, I think they did a tremendous job during June slash July of uh, getting guys on campus. Yeah. And I think that was the thing with Midnight Madness. Um, I think some programs or some fans thought, oh, well, of course, FSU is just getting everybody on campus first. So they're going to go there, then they're going to go everywhere else. But that was kind of just setting the tone for their summer where they were going event after event after event. Uh, what was Miami's most successful summer recruiting event, would you say? Um, I mean, honestly, they so Miami's different than a lot of schools, right? Like they can just have guys pop it that are mm-hmm. local big time, like Shamar Stewart five-star defensive lineman visited Miami five or six times uh, just on his own. But in terms of just an event, I mean, Paradise Camp wasn't wasn't as great as it has been in the past. I'm not going to lie about that. I think the pool party they had Saturday had plenty of big-time guys. Um, was there like the amount of depth Florida State was having at some of their elite events? No. But again, I think Miami spaced out like a lot of guys were just popping in on their own um, whenever they wanted during the month of June in particular. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so moving forward, uh, Florida State and Miami are in some head-to-head battles. Um, you know, As we know, Mike Norvell already dunked on Manny when it came to guys like Omar Graham and Daughtry Richardson, but there's still a few other Truth. battles out there <laughs> between FSU and Miami. We have Wesley Besaint. I think he's probably the biggest one out there. Yeah. Uh, Nigel Leak. Nigel Leak Kelly. That's probably the second biggest battle taking place. And then would you consider FSU Miami for Julian Armella? I mean, obviously LSU is in there as well, but it, Miami a, thinks it'll end up being FSU and Miami. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll say I this too. Like that. at the pool party, Miami, you know, they're not conceding Daniel Lyons for whatever that's. Oh yeah. That's another one that, yeah. So we saw Daniel Lyons just a week after his commitment show up to Miami's pool party. And I saw in your insider report on, on the website that you said that Miami was not going to concede Daniel Lyons. And um, it looks like that's another, that's probably another head to head battle right there. I would think so. Yeah. Anybody else that we're missing right now? uh, Maybe one or two. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I think that might be it. It seems like it's heating up, though. My general thoughts yeah. were in the past couple of years, we I'm haven't seen. It. Yeah, yeah, me too. We haven't seen that many head-to-head battles, whether it was due to FSU being down, Miami being down, just FSU and Miami not seeing eye-to-eye on who they're going to target. It was really kind of weird. So this year has been, it's been refreshing. Obviously, we know we're going at it more because we see your name on the message board more. My name's probably sure. popping up on Inside the U, all that kind of stuff. So it's more been so, 
more so Chris and Brendan, but yeah. Oh, is it? Damn. I no, I'm joking. <laughs> I was going to say, I got to, got to do better. Um, how do you think it ends for Miami? Like we just, I talked to Chris and I talked to Steve and we were kind of talking about how it ends for Florida state and what we ultimately think the class looks like in December or February. But what do you think for Miami? I mean, I think top fifth, I like, like number 15 is kind of my expectation. Um, you know, I think the headliner of their class will probably end up being Shamar Stewart, five-star defensive lineman. I do think Wesley Besaint will end up at Miami. I think if Wesley was committing today, he would pick Miami now. There's and I have my crystal ball on Miami right, right now. I, I would agree with that. I think Florida State has some ground, not really ground. Yeah, ground to make up. I think they have some ground to make up. Like you said, Miami has all the access to those kids down south and Wesley – um, yeah. has been there many time, like shout out to my boy, Kev. He needs to uh, punch his, his dorm room key, get his dorm room key punched. <laughs> I've <laughs> been there so often, but I think with Florida state, if they can do it on the field, I think they can make up that ground. It's just whether or not the product on the field. So is this appetizing. is me like, this is not going to come across well, right? Like I I'm speaking to an audience that isn't going to like this, but to me for FSU, I agree with you. They just got, they got to hit that six win number. And mm -hmm. I don't, at, as things stand now, I don't see it on their schedule. I can't find six wins, um, but that's why they play the games. And I'll say this too. If Norvell does win six games, I, in my opinion, like if he wins six games with this roster he has right now, yeah. he's going to be, he's going to be a good coach there. So uh, to me, I agree. Six wins for them. For Miami, I mean, look, the over-under Vegas sets is nine and a half. I think that's spot on. You could tell me nine and three or 10 and two this year. I think it's time for Miami to win 10 games. And, and if they do pull that off, I think they could hit on some of these like Jaheim Singletary types that are high, right. high, high rated guys, but they need to prove it too. Do you think that's so. why Shamar Stewart hasn't jumped on board? Because he's been yes. another one that needs to punch a dorm card. He's been on campus so much. But Wesley too. Wesley told me that after the pool party. He wants to see how Miami looks. Right. Um, I think the same can be said of Nigel Kelly, who, in my opinion, I think if he commit if he was committing today, he'd pick Miami. So Miami is in a good spot for a lot of their top targets. They're just not in the boat yet. Yeah, the general feel is kind of similar to what Florida State is facing heading into the fall as well. A really good class, but we know it can fall apart fairly quickly if things really head south. Um, David, you need to, you know, there's a nine win club on our message board that you need to be a yeah. part of. You need to start buying into this uh, Florida State team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, <laughs> I want Miami and Florida State to both be good at the same time again. I, it, it's ridiculous that they can't get their stuff together. So well, we're seeing let me ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. What's your take on the fake momentum stuff? I think you'd rather have them committed than not. That's no secret. Right. I, these kids are going to commit somewhere. It's I had an old coach at Florida State tell me it's always harder to flip them. Right. You know, once you get them committed, sometimes, yeah, it's hard to keep them. But you know how the class goes. They're not going to lose everybody. Like by the time FSU, say FSU does have a bad season, by the time the wheels start falling off come October, November, most of these classes are going to be full. And, you know, for the most part, out of right, course, right. Florida State, the top of Florida State's class could go anywhere. 
Like they, they'll have opportunities to go anywhere. I'm talking about like the top four to five, three to five guys. Um, but after that, you know, most of that class will stay, will stick regardless. Yeah. Most of it, but it only matters at the top because Florida State needs superstars. You know how it goes when you need to turn the thing around. Yeah, superstars. So to answer your question, is the momentum fake? No, I don't. I don't really is think it, so. Is but momentum it, a thing in recruiting? Yes, it's definitely a thing. You think so? Recruiting. Because I, I think know. that's why you're not seeing guys commit to Miami right now. I I think that if they had the momentum, if they had that energy around the program that was like, we're going to do it this year, I think guys like Wesley Saint would be committed. I think Shamar Stewart would be committed right now. And I think if you're Miami, you'd rather have those guys committed heading into the season than not. Yeah, that's just, I agree with that. Totally. You know, so yeah. I do think recruiting momentum is real, but I also – at the core of what Manny is talking about, of course, it only matters what you do in, in June and July, or <laughs> June and July, in December and February. And June and July is only part of the story. So right. I understand what he was getting at. Recruiting's not linear. It's, you know, it's what you finish with that, that matters. It doesn't matter if you land them in June, they're not going to be worth more. Um, if we're but- going to be real too, like what he was mad about, and he can't name recruits, he can't even like, he doesn't want to even talk, stop, talk in specifics of about course. the situation, but he's mad about the Wesley Bassaint upside down. Wow. Right. I'm just saying that is at the heart of it. Yeah. And, you know, he it's rambled good. on about other stuff too. So it's all good, man. It makes recruiting fun. Uh, David, it. it was fun to chat with you a little bit. Yeah. Let's, let's do this again um, either before or after early signing period. And we'll, we'll, revisit these conversations how about that i just i just realized we forgot another big time battle go for it jaleel skinner oh yeah and that was <laughs> skinner is one that i made a lot of jokes about early about miami not having a chance and all the intel that i've received in the you know i was making those jokes on a different podcast uh back in like may or, or june but yeah miami uh, this is shaping up to be a real miami fsu battle of course we can't discount alabama correct Yes, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I don't know what to make of that one, to be honest, right now. But yeah, Miami's mm-hmm. in the mix. We'll see. All right, David. Uh, thanks for joining us. Saving the best for last. As always, thank you guys for listening to On the Bench. We will be back soon. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply